So that was just a little spotlight of what's to come. That is next week. We are kicking off our message series in the book of Ruth. And so you're not going to want to miss that. And so make sure you come back next week. But today, like I said earlier, we're going to finish up our message series called Unoffendable. Unoffendable. And so if you didn't know, in the summer of 1863, Abraham Lincoln, who was the president, saw a great opportunity to end the Civil War. General Lee was trapped and he had no way out. So Lincoln ordered General George Meade to go capture General Lee's army. But General Meade ignored Lincoln's orders, which then led to General Lee escaping. Lincoln was furious. Can you imagine? Just being so furious, someone not doing what you want them to do. And so he wrote a letter to George General Meade criticizing his leadership. And here's what Lincoln said. We're going to see that. My dear general, if you could not safely attack Lee last Monday, how, how can you possibly do so south of the river when you take with you very few, no more than two-thirds of the force you, had, you then had in hand? It would be unreasonable to expect, and I do not expect, that you can now affect much. Your golden opportunity is gone, and I am distressed immeasurably because of it. Yikes. Having the President of the United States immeasurably distressed because of your choice. Probably not a good situation. So the question is, is how does General Meade respond to this? Well, we'll never know. Because Lincoln never sent it. It was found later on in his stuff with a bunch of letters that Lincoln wrote but never sent. Wouldn't it be pretty amazing to show that much self-control when you write something and you want to send it to that person, but then you actually don't? It'd be amazing to be able to have that much self-control when it comes to our angry emails or our scathing text messages? How often do we actually send them because we want people to know exactly just how we feel? We do it often, don't we? We criticize often. We receive criticism often, which then leads to a pretty offendable life. You see, how often do we send criticism other people's way? It's a good question to ask yourself. And then on the flip side, how often do we receive someone else's criticism? Maybe your boss told you this week just how bad of a job you were doing. Maybe a friend was hurt by your comment and let you know. Probably publicly too, because that's how we do it these days. Maybe your child knows exactly, tells you exactly how much you're failing as a parent. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. My son is four. Uh, he's the, the biggest sweetheart in the world, all right? Just, a, just a, a, like a cloud, all right? I don't know how, how else to explain it. But when I have to talk firmly to, at him time to time, he's, he, he starts to well up with tears and his eyes just get like big puppy dogs. And then he just sits there like with his mouth closed, just looking at me, about to cry. And you can tell something's turning in his mind. And so uh, every time I expect him to be like, I'm sorry, dad, or you're right, dad. But every time, you know what he says? You're not a good daddy. 
what? Every time. Never fails. I expect something different, but nope, you're not a good dad. He tells me exactly how he feels in that moment. Maybe that has happened to you as well. So listen, whether we're the ones that send the criticism or whether we're on the receiving end of someone else's criticism, a lot of us can relate to Lee McClough's statement, which we're going to see in a second. I realized, he says, that one of the diseases of my own soul is the fear of conflict and criticism. Can we all relate to that? One of the diseases of our souls is that we are fearful of conflict and criticism in our lives. We're fearful of it because through conflict, we tend to criticize and others tend to criticize us. And so when conflict arises or we know it's about to arise, we don't want to step into it because it's going to come back to us or we're going to give it out one way or another. And that leads to both people being offended. And if we're all honest, we spend way too much time being offended, don't we? I'll be the first to admit it. We spend way too much time being offended in life. That is a tiring way to live. And so that's why we're talking about today. We're wrapping up our series called Unoffendable, where we're going to look at how we as Christ followers, we as people who love Jesus, we, we want Jesus more than all the world. How do we go through life? How do we operate when we receive criticism and when we give criticism? How can we do it in a way that honors God in our lives? And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to begin by looking at how we can receive criticism in a very unoffendable way. And for that, we're going to 2 Samuel chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And we're looking at a story about King David. King David. And so in 2 Samuel Samuel 16 and in chapter 12, we see David receive two types of criticism. He receives destructive criticism, and then he receives constructive criticism. And so we're going to look at both, but let's look at destructive criticism first. And so what does destructive criticism mean? Here's a good definition for you. Destructive criticism is criticism that is meant to tear you down. It's a personal attack against you rather than focusing on the issue at hand. We can spot destructive criticism because it usually begins with phrases like this. Maybe you've said these. You always do this. Or you never do this. Or here's why you're wrong. And then you ever, never give examples of why they're actually wrong wrong. Listen, destructive criticism is criticism that doesn't focus on the issue. Rather, it becomes a personal attack against someone's character, who they are as a person. And that's exactly what we see happen to David in 2 Samuel 16 verses 5 through 8. And so let's read what happens. As King David came to Bahurim, a man came out of the village cursing them. 
It was Shimei, son of Gerah, from the same clan as Saul's family. Saul was the king right before David, okay? And so if you want to learn about Saul and his whole reign, just read 1 Samuel. It's a good story. You should go check it out. And so David followed Saul, and so that's a big part of that. So son of Gerah, from the same clan as Saul's family, he threw stones at the king. This is not an analogy. He threw stones at the king and the king's officers and all the mighty warriors who surrounded him. Side note, David's mighty men, there's tons of stories in the Bible talking about David's mighty warriors literally, literally killing hundreds of people by themselves. And here comes this dude throwing rocks at them. Probably not a good people to throw rocks at. Get out of here, you murderer and you scoundrel, Shimei said to David. He shouted at David, the Lord is paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son, Absalom. At last, you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. That's pretty destructive, isn't it? Like, that goes right for his character as a person. And so this Shimei begins cursing David. He throws rocks at him, and he accuses David of stealing Saul's throne and also murdering people. This is very destructive in nature. And listen, David could have killed Shimei so fast, couldn't he? He was the king. At that time, kings could do whatever they would want. And so he literally could have had him killed. In fact, one of his warriors even says that. Look what he says. Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Abishai, son of Zer- Zeruiah, sorry, demanded, let me go over and cut off his head. This is just getting out of hand, isn't it? So you have Shimei coming at David destructively, just tearing at David's character as a person. You have one of his warriors wanting to cut off his head. Shimei was being unfair. Shimei was being harsh. And to be honest, many of us in this room were probably sitting here thinking, well, Shimei deserves it. Probably should get his head cut off for what he did. You see, why do we think that? Can we all be honest again? Why do we instantly think those things like, oh, well, they deserve it? Here's why. We think this way because we are prone to pay back those who unfairly criticize us. So think about that for a moment. Someone destructively criticizes you. What's your first instinct? It's to get payback, isn't it? Instant. The first thought in our mind is not usually like, that's okay, man. It's usually payback. Well, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to pay them back because they've destroyed me, so I'm going to destroy them. You see, this is the reason we answer back to the person and say hurtful thing. It's the reasons we shut people out of our lives. It's the reason we slander and talk about people behind their backs. You see, we are prone to payback. Is that how David responds? Let's see. Verse 10. So he says, let me cut off his head. No, the king said. 
Who asked your opinions, you son of Zeruiah? If the Lord has told him to curse me, who are you to stop him? David doesn't fight back. He doesn't get even. He doesn't even kill Shimei. He basically says, you know what? If he's saying these things, God's trying to teach me something. God's trying to teach me something in my own life. David responds to this destructive criticism, not with anger, but yet with humility. It's a very humble thing to receive destructive criticism and not respond with payback or revenge, isn't it? That's a humble state of mind. He responds with humility, not with anger. I love what Keller says about this. He says, even, only, even if only 20% is true, we can profit from criticism, destructive criticism, given by people who are badly motivated or whom we don't respect, or whom we don't respect. Even though destructive criticism hurts, it cuts deep to the soul, doesn't it? I can probably assume we've all been destructively criticized in our lives before. It hurts. Even though it hurts, we can go through it in an unoffendable way. We can go through it in an unoffendable way. Instead of becoming angry and bitter, instead of starting a fight, we can respond like David. We can respond with humility, and we can ask God to teach us what he's trying to teach us in that moment. We need to be people who learn from the 20% instead of getting payback for the 80%. Right? We need to be counterculture and respond differently. That's destructive criticism. Now, what about constructive criticism? Constru- we've heard this before. Uh, constructive criticism is criticism that is meant to build us up. It is said with the best of intentions in order to encourage you and to become your best self or to become a better version of who you are. This type of criticism still hurts, Sometimes, doesn't it? This type of criticism is like, ooh, that one stung, but we know that that person came at it. They spoke the truth in love, as Pastor Jay talked about last week. And so this type of criticism still hurts, it still wounds, but it's the right kind of criticism. And so we see another story in 2 Samuel about David who goes through some constructive criticism. And this starts in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And This is criticism from the prophet Nathan. And so maybe you've heard this story before. But David sees a woman, and he's like, I I want her. And he has an affair with Bathsheba. And then he gets her pregnant. And in order to cover that up, he does a bunch of stuff to try to cover it up. It doesn't work. And so he ends up killing her husband, Uriah. All right? So terrible things. Terrible things. Affair, pregnant, murder. Awesome. Great. But you know what the worst thing about it is? Is that he justifies that he's in the right. He justifies it. He then goes along with his business. And so when you compound those together, you have a pretty tough state. And so what happens is, is that Nathan comes in. God uses Nathan to rebuke David. 
And he goes on through this. It's fascinating. So first, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Go read it. It's fascinating. Where Nathan rebukes David in such a way, and then all of a sudden, David responds. Because he wasn't responding rightly. He was justifying his sin. But then he responds after someone constructively criticizes him. And look at how he responds. Then David confessed. Confessing is hard, isn't it? Confessing is hard. It shows that we were in the wrong. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. David doesn't respond by complaining. He doesn't respond by denying anything. Instead, just like in chapter 16, he responds in humility and he admits that he messed up. He confesses. He not only confesses to Nathan, but also goes further. And so if you've read Psalm 51, Psalm 51 was written by David right after Nathan rebuked him. And two verses in Psalm 51 are amazing. So he not only confesses to Nathan, but he also confesses to God. He says, God, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Listen, so often we want to justify our actions. We want to justify our sins toward others and our responses. We want to justify why we should be offended in certain situations. I can assume we've all been there where we're offended in life. Something happened and yet all we want to do is justify why we're in the right. And yet constructively... When people criticize us, maybe we need to respond like David and we need to respond with humility in life. This is why we need people in our lives who are able to speak the truth in love. And so two things to say about that real quick. First, ask yourself, do I have anybody in my life who speaks the truth in love? Who constructively criticizes? If you don't have anybody like that, I would highly suggest it. But secondly, if you don't have anybody like that, you probably have blocked them out because you don't want to hear it. And so not only do I have someone, but also ask yourself, am I allowing people to speak the truth in love? Because in our pride, we can block people out and justify what we're doing. And so ask yourself, who do I have in life who's going to speak the truth in love, who's going to build me up, and am I allowing them to do that? Bonhoeffer says it best. He says, nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand, a wound, something that hurts, which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin. There's nothing so compassionate as a loving person calling you back into the family of God. Do you have someone like that in your life? Listen, we are criticized a lot, aren't we? Destructively, constructively. And when we are criticized, what happens? We start feeling emotions. We start feeling something inside. Here's the deal. Those feelings are not the wrong 
It's not wrong to feel emotions. It's not wrong to have instant emotions, either anger, something like that. It's not wrong. But what is, where it does go wrong is how we respond, isn't it? Back to my four-year-old. He doesn't like when people laugh at him, yet he's hilarious. And so we laugh at him a lot because he says really funny things. And then he starts to cry. And usually one of his sisters will poke fun at him and start laughing at him. And you know what he does? He goes to hit him. He's four and he's about to hit his sisters. And before he hits his sisters, I say, Dean, stop. You have a choice here. You're feeling this emotion. That's fine. Feel it. But what matters most is what you do next because you can either hit them and it's not going to go well for you. Or, or you can take a deep breath and go the other way. Now, he's four, so he hits them a lot, okay? (laughs) But when it comes to constructive and destructive criticism, we have that choice. It's okay to feel It's our response that changes everything. It's our response that changes everything. And so we can live unoffendable, and here's why. Because when we are criticized constructively or destructively, we can either respond in pride, which is not going to go well for us. Pride leads to destruction. Throughout Scripture, pride leads to not good things. Throughout Scripture, guess what does lead to amazing things? Humility. Humility. Humility leads to wisdom. Humility leads to honor. And humility ultimately leads to life. And so before you respond, choose what way you're going to go. And that's up to you. That's up to you. Humility. So we know how to handle criticism that comes our way, right? Now we know. Destructive, constructive, we know how to respond. The question is, how do we then criticize others? Because we're going to, okay? We're going to. So how do we go about it in our lives? And it's very simple. Jesus makes it so simple for us, okay? Could not be clearer. Matthew seven twelve. do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. How many of your parents told you that as a kid? How many of you parents have said that to your kids? He doesn't stop there, though. He goes further. He says, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Why does he say that? Listen, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching a bunch of religious people who know the law and the prophets from front to back. And what Jesus is doing from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, he's flipping the world on its head. He's saying, if you want to be a citizen in God's kingdom, here's how you should live. And one of the ways you should live is you should do to others whatever you would want them to do to you. The entire Old Testament is based, that's the essence of everything you know, as Jesus is saying to them. Do to others whatever you would have them do to you. I think it's about time that we all get over ourselves. Okay? It's about time we all kind of move on from our self-focused type of life. And we start thinking and doing things to others that we would want them to do to us. See, when it comes to criticism, 
when we criticize others, we need to do it with humility. It's kind of the theme if you haven't caught on yet. We need to do it with humility because that's a humble statement, isn't it? We need to do to others what we would want them to do to us. And so we need to look at ourselves and humble ourselves and not pay them back for what they deserve or not criticize them and attack their character and go after them destructively. But yet, we need to humbly realize and say, okay, how would I want them to treat me? I'm going to treat them the same way. And we can only do that in humility because pride, guess where that's going to lead? to very destructive criticism where you're attacking people's character, you're slandering them behind their back, it's rooted in anger, it's rooted in hate. But yet in humility, we can criticize, we can speak the truth in love. We can build others up. We can be like Nathan. Because like I said, humility leads to wisdom. It leads to honor. It leads to life. And when we think of the greatest example of humility, we think of Jesus himself who humbled himself and took on the form of man who lived perfectly and then yet went to the cross humbly where he died and he died a criminal's death. That's straight from Philippians 2. And because of the humility of Christ, we now have life, life now and life eternal. Humility leads to life. So think about your relationships. If you want life in your relationships, approach them with humility. Respond with humility. Give with humility. And it's going to lead to wisdom, honor, and life. And so how do we know if we're living this verse out? More questions to ask yourself. Ask yourself. Have I prayed about it more than I talk to others about it? That's scary, isn't it? What's our first response want to be when something happens? We usually want to go tell everybody. But before you do that, I highly suggest you pray. I highly suggest you seek God and ask him, how do I respond? How do I respond to this? Next, Am I making it about the issue of the person? So when you're about to go criticize someone constructively, make sure you're not making it about their personal character and or attacking their, their character, but yet you keep it focused on the actual issue. Don't make it personal. And then the last one, am I wounding to hurt or to love? Am I wounding to hurt or to love? I don't know why I thought of this, but It's kind of like a grown dog and a puppy. Puppies bite a lot, don't they? They don't do it because they're mad at you. They don't do it out of anger or whatever. That puppy just loves you, right? But yet it hurts. Their teeth are so sharp. And yet sometimes a, a grown, senile, grumpy, uncomfortable dog bites you, they do it to hurt you. And so listen, before you criticize someone, you got to say, listen, this might wound them. Am I doing it because I want to hurt them? Or am I doing it because I love them? It's a question to ask yourself today. We can live unoffendable lives when it comes to criticism. You can. We can. It takes work. You're going to receive it. You have to ask yourself, how am I going to respond to this? 
Humbly, God, what are you trying to teach me? Humbly, God, thank you so much for revealing what I need to hear and confessing back to God. And then how we give criticism. We do it humbly and we do it the way we would want them to do it to us. All of this, if we want to live unoffendable lives, it needs to be rooted in humility. It needs to be rooted in the fact that we are not the center of the universe and there are other people to care for in life. And so we're going to end by taking these things to God today. Because honestly, I don't know who you need to talk to or who's been talking to you. And so I just want us to pray this morning. I want us to truly take time to think, okay, listen, if you've just received destructive criticism, this is your prayer. Father, I think 80% of what was said to me is false. But I'm praying you would allow me to learn from the other 20%. That's a prayer of humility, of teachability. Understanding that God wants to continue to work in our hearts, even through destructive purposes. Maybe you've received constructive criticism recently. This is your prayer. Father, thank you for allowing me to be wounded in love. I'm here today to confess and ask for a clean heart before you. If you've received constructive criticism, you need to humbly confess to God and, and thank him for revealing what you need in the moment. And then if you're about to offer criticism, Father, you know the person that I need to talk to. I'm not sure exactly how to say it, but will you help me say it in a way that honors your golden rule? We want to honor and imitate Christ. Because in his humility, it led to life. And in our humility, it leads to life in our relationships. So just take, take 10, 15 seconds to pray to God right now. God, we humbly come before you. We humbly come before you, God, because we live in a very critical culture, which leads to a lot of us being offended all the time, being angry, ornery, anxious. God, I pray that when we receive criticism, if it's destructive, Lord, I pray that we would see what you're trying to teach us through it. Give us a teachable spirit to be able to listen. God, if it's constructive, Lord, and it hurts, God, I pray that in humility it would lead us back to you knowing that you are God and you are working in our lives. Lord, help us to have people who speak the truth in love and then also we allow them to do it. And God, when we offer criticism, God, I pray that we would honor you and imitate you in it. That we would do to others what we would want them to do to us, Lord. That we would constructively build them up. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your love. 
This is for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning.